Before we begin our time of teaching, I'm gonna ask you to be praying this week for a lot of friends of ours. I've been overwhelmed in the last 48 hours with messages of prayer requests from ministries and churches that have been hit by this latest surge of the Delta. One right here in town, right on Washington Boulevard, Montrose Church had VBS a couple of weeks ago. There's been a significant outbreak. Please pray for that church, the church staff, the children and families that are impacted by that. A dear good friend of mine, Brian Mount, who trained me in ministry, is the COO of Hume Lake Christian Camps. And Hume Lake has shut down completely for two weeks for very similar reasons. And these are just two, and I used California ones, of, of just ministries that I am very empathetic to in the kinds of situations they're in and the decisions they're making. I'd also ask you to continue to pray for us as we continue to regather, that God would lead us to be wise, that our children and students as they gather throughout the week would be safe, you and your classes as you regather with one another, that God would continue to protect us from such decisions and such kinds of outbreak. Would you just take a moment very quietly in your own space and please pray for either Hume Lake or Montrose Church or any ministry that's suffering and we'll, we'll begin our time of teaching in a moment. Just a few seconds of silent prayer. I'm not sure what your week was like. I imagine for some of you, a frustrating, difficult part of your week might have to do with a mask. I imagine for some of you, as you heard the words of Jeremy share about just a moment and a reality of his week, maybe many more of you were connecting to something like that. I know for certain, because of conversations, because of email, and because I understand where so many of us are, this has been an incredibly difficult week for many in this church family. The reality of isolation, the reality of being alone, the reality of the pain and the hurt that is going on in your families, in your marriages, in your workplaces, the tensions that so many of us live in. And there's a temptation historically for times of worship. Because of the heaviness of the lives that we live, there is a time and a place and a percentage of us who walk into a worship service or turn on the screen for a worship service and for an hour and change, just take me away from all of that. And yet another percentage of us come and it's impossible to be taken away from all of that. And we come and we bring all of that mess, all of that difficult into this worship space and this worship experience. And some of us are begging Jesus to give us a fresh word. Some of us are coming into this morning or this stream or whenever you're watching this and the desperation of how difficult life is 
is that we're just asking God to reveal himself new and fresh. Even some of you in this room, not even sure if there's a God or if any of this Jesus conversation is relevant, you find yourself here because life is overwhelming and you just want to give it a chance. And there's a great temptation when we're in the middle of a worship uh, or a sermon series where we've been talking about who we are as a church, that we can engage a topic like what we're going to look at today as a as fun as Perry and Leah made that video, that the church has gathered today and they've put a bunch of tables in the lobby because we need more volunteers at Lake Avenue Church. And we do. But I want you to hear from my heart. There is no manipulation to get more of you to serve today. I want more of you to sign up and serve, not because the church needs you, because it's the very way of living God's called us to. That the way that you and I live in the world we live in, the culture we share, is so dramatically different from the way of living that, that God calls us to live through his word. And today as we open up God's word, I pray that you will get a glimpse and a sense that this way of living this way of being outside of ourself is never to somehow minimize the reality of the pain and difficulty of our lives. But this way of living that God calls us is almost the opposite. To get us out of our own lives individually and to join a larger family and to live life together in this family. And, and, and I know this. After the year and a half and the continuation of this pandemic season, we need to live our lives together. And so many of us have declared and said, as I have to the Lord so many times over the last year, I just want to get back to normal. Lake Avenue Church, I don't want us to come back to normal. I want us to come back with a new normal. A new normal that says, this is not a, a venue for singing. That, that we don't have a piece of property because it's, it's, it's what churches do. But what happens as a part of being in this church is that we become family and we actually live this way of living we think God's called us to. A way of living, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, where we worship in unity across all the differences, but in this space, the name of Jesus is what brings us together. And as Janine so, Pastor Janine so masterfully shared last week, that we're, we need one another. We need to be in smaller groups, communities, to share life with one another. It's another essential to this new way of living, this new back to normal, this new normal. And today, as we consider what it means to serve to serve God's mission together at Lake Avenue Church, I pray that the Holy Spirit would show you and invite you wherever you are of this new way of living. If you have the scriptures with you, we're gonna be in Romans chapter 12. As you get to Romans 12, either on your phone or in a, a physical Bible in front of you, allow me to read you some context 
of what's going on in Romans, the book in general, and 11 chapters. We can't just jump into 12 with verses many of us know very well without just a little bit of context work. And here's what I'm asking you to listen to. I'm asking you to consider, is the church, is the Christian church in the United States or in California or Lake Avenue Church really all that different from what was happening in the Roman church? There's some clear differences, but, but listen to this context and ask yourself if you think maybe, maybe this would apply to us today. Now, in the first century, Christianity is on the rise in Rome. The Roman Christian church has become a very influential movement. Now, the movement begins in Jerusalem from Jewish converts, and now Gentile Christians are making up the majority of the church. Now, the church at that time was a collection of house communities that were spread out throughout Rome, but probably connected to synagogues throughout the empire. So it was a very spread out and diverse church, and because it was a spread out and diverse church, it had divisions. Now, Rome was a very ethnically diverse empire. Jews were present in the empire because they had come primarily as slaves about 62 years before Christ. As they came into the Roman Empire as slaves, they faced persecution throughout their time in Rome. But most recently, before this letter is written, a large number of Jewish Christians in around 50 years after Jesus, under Claudius, had been expelled from Rome, Jewish Christians needing to leave Rome because because the Gentile and Jewish Christians were arguing too much and the culture at large said enough of that infighting, go. And they kicked out the Jewish Christians. Now when Paul writes Romans, it's somewhere between five to 10 years after that expulsion of Jewish Christians and Jewish Christians are now in the minority of the church and they're either freshly back uh, from being expelled or those that were still there had remained as slaves. Gentiles are leading the churches, and the movement is taking root in significant ways, yet there is still tension in all of the churches. Confusion, fighting between Jewish and Gentile Christian, how this new faith in Jesus fits with the Old Testament law, and what the proper understanding of this new community that now consists of both Jew and Gentile Christians. Paul is writing into that kind of divided context. And Paul's actually trying to fundraise as well for some upcoming missions. So Paul is writing to unite a scattered and fragmented church. And he's urging them, and we'll see this in the text, to become a body, a new body of Christ. The first 11 chapters of Romans are committed to teaching the church about the gospel. Major themes of justification, salvation, and essentially how Jesus fits in the larger story of God in terms of the law in the Old Testament and Israel's place in the New Covenant. That's all in the first 11 chapters. And what we're going to read in a moment in chapter 12 is a major shift. It's a change. It's a change from kind of knowing what to believe in the first 11 chapters and now how to live in light of what is true. Paul's writing becomes clear, it becomes practical, and this is where our text begins today. So imagine for me in a moment, an ethnically diverse, spread out community, 
People have been following Jesus for 40, 50, 60 years one way. People come into Christ in all kinds of different ways with different backgrounds, and now they're all one church. Imagine what that might be like. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You're loud today, I like it. Let's jump through this text. There are three movements, three chapters, three categories we're going to look at. And, and, and if you're a note taker, it'll be very easy to follow. The first thing I want us to see in the first two verses is a call to give it all. Done by Paul. I didn't even practice that. <laughs> a call to give it all by Paul. Jenny, you're not looking at me. You're supposed to smile. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, listen to this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are two specific calls that encompasses, the last I checked, kind of the fullness of what it means to be human. Our minds and our bodies. Paul is calling this church to give all of themselves to the gospel and all of themselves to worshiping God. When Paul says to give your bodies as a sacrifice, we need help. We use sacrifice very uniquely compared to the context of first century Rome. Now these Christians, these Jewish and Gentile Christians still connected to synagogues were most likely still in the practice of giving literal animal sacrifices a couple of times a day. When Paul is telling them to offer their bodies as a sacrifice, it's rated R language. It's costly. It's bloody. It's daily. You and I sacrifice by, I'm not going to have carbs this week. Paul is calling the followers of Jesus 
to offer their bodies to God as a living sacrifice. He's not calling them to kill themselves. He's saying, bring all of you to the presence of God. And when you bring all of you, your physical body to God and say, this is what I'm offering you today, he says, that is proper worship. Lake Avenue Church, one of the things that uh, we were doing in my home yesterday, and this will give you a, continue to give you a really accurate picture of how it works in my house. I'm trying to train my sons to succeed at a belly flop appropriately. <laughs> I told them yesterday, pain is momentary, glory is forever, you're going to win it at camp for the rest of your life if you just stick with me right now. And I was telling one of them to just close their eyes and come down and just, just take it, just take it, you're gonna be fine. Every time, they're just wincing, right? Because it's scary. That the, the pain tolerance of my children for a belly flop is pretty low. Everything inside that's natural wants to protect themselves from such pain. Lake Avenue Church, my biggest concern over the last couple of years for the church, at least in the United States, is that we have a very low pain tolerance. We have Paul telling us you need to, we need to give our bodies daily in service to the Lord, but oftentimes in our offering of God, what we want is that we want it all to feel very good. So I'm all in, God. Here's my body. Here's my life. But, but please, God, don't make me rearrange how I normally do my life. The pandemic had hit, and on my count, it was four weeks. Four weeks, and a lot of people like us who love Jesus were saying, persecution, persecution, four weeks. Now, it's been difficult, don't get me wrong. This is really hard, what we've been living in. But four weeks compared to so many of you that I know in this church family with your story of fleeing your home country because it was not safe for you to follow Jesus. Leaving your family, leaving everything you knew to get to here. Persecution is not a throwaway word. When Paul is telling us to give it all, he's saying give your body as a living sacrifice. He is saying offer everything you are to God fully and freely. And if it costs you some uncomfort, if it costs you a little pain, it doesn't mean it's not okay. It doesn't mean there's something wrong. First century Rome and 2020, 2021 Pasadena are similar in a lot of ways, but they're very different in a lot of ways. And Paul is calling the church to give all of themselves first as their bodies, and second, he's calling them and us to renew our minds. When it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's not just our physical bodies. And this is kind of in America and Western church. We really, we're really good with the mind and maybe not so much with the body. And maybe in other places, it's the body and not so much the mind. But the call here is to give it all, your physical body and your brain. 
And when there's a call for us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it's an essence saying to you, Jesus, and to your gospel, I will learn and relearn and learn and relearn what is true about who you are, God, and how you have called us to live. Eleven chapters of arguably some of the most deep theology in the Bible. You don't just read the 11 chapters and test out. Paul's call to give it all is to say, renew your mind. Keep coming back to what is true and what is good. And when we do that, we are essentially saying to God that you really are ruling my life. That there are other narratives. There's a pattern in this world or in this age. And then there's your ways. And as a follower of God, as someone who believes in the gospel of Jesus, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, and I am continually submitting my mind to what is true and allow God to transform me. See, when Jesus rules in our lives, when Jesus rules in our church, we should expect transformation. And transformation into God's likeness is constant. It's always happening. We never fully arrive in this life at being fully transformed. And transformation in any aspect of life has a little bit of pain. If I want to gain muscle, I've got to work out and then get past that pain of new growth. When a child comes into this world, it doesn't come in without pain. Life changes through difficulty and pain. Transformation, the renewing of our mind, is not just an academic, unemotional pursuit of knowing what is true. When we offer all of it to God, our bodies and our minds, and we expect transformation, then we should expect that God is going to bring about something new in us. And too often, and it's connected to the next point, we want the new without the pain. Now, here's the beautiful thing about renewing our minds. And I've said this before, I can't remember when. But for those of you who study brain science, and even in some of our marriage ministries here, we have uh, restoration therapy. What we know now is because of brain elasticity that you can actually retrain your brain from some of the old habits we have. So it's almost like science is caught up to Romans to say that we're never our worst moment, we're never the worst part of ourselves, that even the, habit, the habits we have, the places where we've been stuck, when we submit our minds to God and we allow the truth to come into our lives, that the truth will actually do what scripture says, it will set us free of old habits. Which means you and I have great hope for the renewing process, the transforming process, that we can become who we were made to be, that our minds can be renewed, our reactions can change, so my question for some of you is what needs renewing in your mind? What needs renewing in your life? I know for certain in this church right now, in my life right now, there are plenty of places for a renewing work of God. I think there are marriages right now that need a renewing work, a transformational work. I think some of us are holding on to pain and forgiveness is needed for us to experience the transforming, renewing work of God. Some of us are stuck in the same old sins that have been following us for 20, 30, 40 years. As a former youth pastor, I just want to tell you what I think the, the core sins are for us that don't seem to go away. 
These are things that I heard, whether you're 13 at camp or you're 75 years old sitting in my office. I gossip and I lust. Do you believe that by the renewing of your mind, do you believe that by giving God your all, offering your body, that God can change us? That God can change you and that the story that's been following you your whole life, the sins that have been following your whole life, that you can experience freedom and transformation, I do. So Paul begins this text with a, a call to give it all. And then the next movement, the next chapter are the challenges that come when we are trying to give it our all. In verse two, we'll come back to this, don't conform to the pattern of this world. That's a challenge we'll talk about in a moment. And then in verse three, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith that has been distributed to each of you. There are two challenges in this text in verses two through four. And the first one is the challenge, and I'll call it the challenge of allegiance. This pattern, there's a juxtaposition that's happening for Paul. There's the patterns of this world, and then there's a Jesus-directed life, a life that's informed by the truth of the gospel. And the pattern of this world, we could spend all morning, each one of you could let us know what you believe in this current historical moment we're living in, what those, what those cultural patterns are, what those worldly threats are, and that's probably a worthy conversation for core value too. But I would argue this, that no matter what the patterns are in the world you and I are living in, as the, the challenges to being faithful to giving God everything in our life, that there's something that has thread every pattern in this world since Genesis, in Romans, and in Pasadena right now. And that pattern of this world that goes opposite of the way of living, of a Jesus-directed life, a gospel-centered life, is this, is that we desperately live in a world that says me and my story are the most important part of life. It's a me versus a God, God's way. In the garden, you can have it all, Adam and Eve, just don't eat from that one tree, but I want the tree. So we take the tree. When we put ourselves in the middle of the story, when we wake up and say, today is about me and what I can accomplish, or what I can take in, or what I can accumulate, or what I can use, when we put ourselves in the middle of the story, that's a pattern of this world. That's the effects of sin in this world. And a Jesus-directed life, a gospel-directed life, takes ourselves out of the middle of the story, puts God in the middle of the story, and then we come in to work with God on what God is doing in this world. The patterns of the world that you and I struggle with, many of us, maybe not all of these, is when we put ourselves in the middle of the story, we believe that life is about what I have, what I've accomplished, what I do, what feels good to me, what I want to do today, what I don't want to do today. The pattern of this world that has been present since Genesis 3 up until now is me, myself, and I. And we can even put mine or my kind or my people. It's a way of saying that I am the most important part of all of this. And this is not new. Paul's even going to go into more detail with the second challenge that's related to this challenge of allegiance. It's a challenge of focus. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. This is a challenge of focus, that it's not about me. I shouldn't think that I'm the center of the story. Now remember this context and how radical this teaching is, and it should be radical for you and I in the very spread out, diverse church like ours. A lot of fighting between people who've been following Jesus one way and a different way. A lot of confusion. A lot of you versus, I mean, a church with slave owners and slaves in the exact same church. And what's Paul's teaching? After he goes, what's the proper way to think about this? Let's, let's do some good theology. And then right out of the back in Romans 12, when he changes the conversation, he says, guess what? You shouldn't be thinking about yourself, and it's not about you. Think of yourself with sober judgment. And then he goes on to give this image of being one body with many members. The, the diversity of the human body, the diversity of the church family, the church body, that we all have a function to play. And just like the hand doesn't do what the knee does and the knee doesn't do what the ear does and the ear doesn't do what the finger does, all of that together is this beautiful, miraculous example of a creator. And Paul is saying, it's not, when you, when you, when you think of yourself as better than someone else, you're missing the point. You're failing to see that what I have built or what Jesus has built in his church is all these different people with all of their backgrounds, with all of their different gifts coming together. And the way we actually become the body is the very way of living that we've talked about today. When you and I are in Christ, and if we're truly in Christ, we see ourselves in context, in the context of other people. And we recognize that our lives are bigger than ourselves. It's essentially living an other-focused life, a God's-focused life versus a self-focused life. And this is not the only moment in Scripture where this is talked about. It's kind of threads throughout the whole Bible. You remember that story where Jesus is walking along the road and the disciples are starting to figure out that what he's claiming to be the Messiah. James and John put two and two together and they go, okay, let's, let's strike a deal with Jesus. Jesus, when you die, uh, can we sit at your right and your left in heaven? Because we want that. Our natural response to being in the presence of Jesus, humanly speaking, sinfully speaking, is we want to get, we want to get in the right and the left-hand seats, not just James and John. And Jesus' reply is, you're missing the whole point. I didn't even come to sit in those seats. I gave, came to be a servant and a slave, to give my life away. The challenges that come with giving God our all is ourselves. Giving our allegiance to different ways of thinking versus the gospel's leading in our life and putting ourselves as more important than someone else. And that's why Paul will finish this, that we'll finish this message with Paul's instruction for this collective identity that we've already begun to talk about in verses five to eight. So in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of you. This is, an exhaustive, this is not an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but you can read them there. Prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, showing mercy, leadership. This is, a, this, is a, this is a change in this, again, really important to understand that Jewish-Gentile tension. This was at the, the centerpiece of the argument. Jewish Christians are saying, what do I do that we're God's chosen people? 
that ultimately when we come to the, the Torah, we get special status. Uh, I mean, literally, God chose us from all the nations, and he says, it's you and me, Israel, and we will demonstrate to the world who I am. Now, Jesus has come, and that exclusive relationship is, is different. It's not gone, it's different. And other people are coming in. And this fighting between how does, how does all this work? Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians. And when, when Paul starts giving the image of the body, it's a whole new paradigm. Where for in the Old Testament, in the Torah, God's special group of people was defined by borders and a nation and an ethnic makeup. Now God's people are defined by coming together across all these differences and forming the body. It's a dramatic change and shift of image. And he's basically saying, yes, Israel, you used to have a corporate identity with roles, functions, and all of that always was to point to God, to demonstrate who God is and what he is like to this world. And so when Paul is teaching here in verses five to eight about the body of Christ, this is the new covenant identity that he is giving the church with roles and functions about all of them and all the state of differences that they come together, that it's needed and necessary that, we, that the, the church in Rome across all the split difference, houses, belief, it's when they come together as the body, they demonstrate who Jesus is to this world and what he is like, which means this Lake Avenue Church, when we lean into our corporate identity as the body of Christ, we too have the great opportunity to use our gifts and our service to one another and to show the world, to show Pasadena, to show the San Gabriel Valley, to show LA County, to show the state of California, to show the United States of America, to show the world who Jesus is and it sets us apart. Service is not an extracurricular activity for the follower of Jesus. Service in a church is not something that just a percentage of people need to do. Service to the body is the very way we understand who we are in context of what God is doing. And when we come and serve alongside one another, bring the gifts that God has given us, and we bring them into to, 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 to the love relationship we have with God, the, the serving relationship we have with one another and the world around us. It is foundational for us being the community that, that Jesus has built in the church. And it screams to the world, hey, at that church, Jesus is in charge. I was at camp last week. I mentioned this in the Friday update, went up for a few hours. And I'm watching our middle school counselors that are up at camp. And I really did weep. Leah's pretty cool. Josh, who works there, very cool young adult. And then Leah's dad, Bruce, who's a new member of this church, is there. And two amazing moms in the church are there. And then a 20-year-old who, who, who kind of is tangentially connected but loves Jesus is there and I'm watching this group of leaders in our middle school ministry and I go this makes no sense this group of people would never hang out together in real life but because Jesus is at the center they each bring their different gifts and friends I know you saw a lot of fun but I'm telling you, the Lord moved within our middle school students because when the people of God come together out of love and service, the spirit of God moves freely. We had a seventh grade son come into our room. Don't tell him I told you this. You know what he said? 
Have you ever noticed how reserved Lake Avenue Church is in worship? I learned how to worship this week at camp. And I said, go ahead, son, go ahead. So he judged all of you, um, and me, and me. Service is not extracurricular. When we come together in service, the Spirit of God moves in profound ways. So how do we apply this? Lake, I just want to be super simple with you today. It's coming back from this pandemic, and I know it's a rolling start for some of us. Please, can we not come back the way it used to be? I pray that we come back with an anticipation and an excitement to serve in a new area or an area to give our bodies as a living sacrifice, to transform our minds in humble service to the kingdom. The reality is that in every church, and it's not just us, there's a smaller percentage of people doing a higher percentage of the serving. For many people in churches, serving is a season you reflect back on, the time where you used to do something, and we hope that somebody else will take the baton now, but I've done my time. Serving in churches is seen as extra and not essential. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this, this is your true and proper worship. After church today in the lobby, if you just want to investigate and explore, there's lots of places you could learn about. And if you're not ready for that, I would ask you to pray. God, show me what my next season here at Lake Avenue Church is. You can be regular in worship, you can be in a community, and if you don't have that third piece, we are compromised to give witness to Jesus in this world. When I was in seventh grade at Community Presbyterian Church in Ventura, California, there was a confirmation program, and you were matched with a mentor in the church, someone who would go through a workbook with you for three months, and as this awkward, kind of chubby, freckle-faced kid in Ventura, I was matched with a guy named Pat Green. Pat, I truly hope you're watching this. Pat was in the choir. I had seen him because I'd been at church a few times. And when I got my match, I was a little confused. How's this going to work? I mean, this guy, Pat, was retired. He sang in the choir. And, and, and it was a different day where you would meet up after church and then Pat and I would either go to a restaurant or he'd go back to his home and we would work through the workbook. I remember his name, church, because a man gave me time when I needed a man to give me time. I don't remember all the theology we did and we did it. I don't remember how I filled in all the blanks of my confirmation workbook. But I know this, when I reflect back on the trajectory of my life, it, wasn't, it was shortly after that time with Pat that I found myself at a summer camp where I fully gave my life to Jesus for the first time. I don't know if I've ever, and so I'm hoping, one, he's alive and that he's watching this. I never put all of that together in real time. I don't know if Pat ever reflects back to his time with me. I'm pretty sure Pat was faithful in that moment because his church asked him to be faithful in that moment. I don't know how he gauged it at the end, if it was successful, if it wasn't successful, if it was worth his time, not worth his time, but I can tell you that God used three months 
with a guy in the choir and a seventh grade kid to change this seventh grade kid's life. And maybe Pat will never know that story on earth, but I guarantee you this, if Pat is with our Lord or when he becomes with the Lord, he will know how God used him to change lives. Lake Avenue Church, I don't know how many Pat Greens are here. I don't know how many Pats have been sitting in the same section, doing the same things, the beautiful things of what it means to follow Jesus at Lake Avenue Church. But I believe in all of my heart, I believe with, with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that God wants to move in new ways among us, his church here at 393 North Lake. And I think foundational to that happening is us bringing all of who God's made us to be, offering our lives to him in service, our bodies, transforming our minds with the truth of God's word, not thinking of ourselves more highly, not putting ourselves in the middle of the story, but putting whatever the equivalent is of an awkward seventh grade kid in the middle of the story. It could be setting up tables on Sunday morning. It could be helping make coffee. It could be a seventh grade kid. It could be picking up communion cups on your way out. God, I pray that we as your church at Lake Avenue would learn how to serve one another with passion, with an expectancy that when we come together in service to your gospel and your kingdom, that as we become this body, though different, but united in Christ to make one body, God, we pray for the movement of the gospel and the movement of the Holy Spirit in ways we have never seen before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? On your way out, there are two opportunities. One, the lobby is full of opportunities for you to explore a new place of service. Second, it's our benevolence offering, and I just want to let you know, I know we're behind in our general fund, but your giving to the benevolence is above and beyond. And we have plenty of funds right now, praise God. I don't want to get in the way if that's your rhythm and it's above and beyond, but I will say this. If you had a choice to make over this last month between benevolence and a general fund gift, I would encourage you to pray and to consider a general fund gift because our benevolence is strong. There's so much more I want to say to you. I love you so much. Go in peace and live by faith. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now in life everlasting. Serve well, Lake. Amen. <laughs>